Welcome to the OA Lighted Candle Meeting Podcast. Please visit our website at oalaig.org where you will find several speaker feeds with over 800 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs, and a place to donate to keep the special service active. The opinions expressed on the OA Lady Candle podcast are those of individual OA members and do not represent OA as a whole. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Sherry D. I needed that hug. Thank you very much. I just feel like I'm going to have a heart attack now. That was great. Five minutes ago. Hi, I'm Sherry. And I'm a compulsive overeater, binge eater, and that's uh, that's how it's helped by here. And I'm so grateful to be here, and I have sponsees in the room supporting me, and it just, I could cry. You know, it's just such a beautiful thing. I was thinking about that and the belonging. Um, I was at a meeting earlier, and the topic was belonging, and um, I was thinking how I didn't belong in my family, and there was never a sense of community or love or anyone caring, and the care here and the support and this community has saved my life on a daily basis. I'm just so grateful for this program, and if I'm crying now, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 20 minutes. Oh my gosh, I want to first welcome all of the chip takers, welcome to the newcomers. You, it seems like you've you know, done step one, you know, you're powerless over food or binging or anorexia or whatever your thing is that you identify with, and this is such a great place to be, and I hope you keep coming back, and if you don't hear anything tonight, continue to go to more meetings, and if it doesn't stick this time, it will next time, and that's been my story, is that I went to meetings and it wasn't the time. But then one day it was the time, and I'm just so grateful for that. And congratulations to all of the different, um, the 90 days and the 30 days. Um, so great. And I have so many program friends in the room, and um, I'm glad you reminded me. What it, and thank you, David, for having me speak. It's such an honor to speak here. And I spoke here about two years ago or two and a half years ago, so I wanted to have a whole new pitch. You know, something I wanted to share all new information. <laughs> And, and then you just reminded me, I'm supposed to share what, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. And, um, you know, in a sense, I'm just like, I don't like to keep repeating my story. You know, it's, um, and I'm, the, more, the longer that I'm here, the, the more, like, the story of everything is, like, so over there. And it's really on what do I do today on a daily basis to have joy, peace, serenity, and openness to a life beyond my wildest dreams. And so um, I'll just share what it was like. Uh, I was born into a family who didn't want kids. You know, they didn't, there wasn't any room for family. This is really, I think I'm just so moved too because I have, um, I have this man in my life today that, um, that I couldn't have dreamt was possible to have this kind of relationship and people who know me were listening to this, you know, they, they were with me through the whole thing. And it, I just didn't think it was possible for me to have what I have today and to have the love and the, um, the availability and to have a relationship that I'm so current every day in and um, that because of program and that I can show up and be truthful and honest and vulnerable and not eat over any of it is like a huge gift to just show up and say, you know what, this is who I am. I was totally unable to share with a partner the truth of me 
for many years, even in program. I would say this has only shifted the last two years. So, and um, because I've been working on it, so I want to stick to what it was like. So, I, you know, there wasn't much in terms. The reason I brought that up is because he had he has such a huge loving family. And he has three beautiful daughters, and they're best friends, and they're all married, and one just had a new baby. And so sometimes it can be overwhelming to see, like, what it was supposed to be and to see all the love being poured into this brand-new little baby. And um, and I have to give myself that in program. That was not given to me, and that's um, just part of my path. So I was born into a family, and there wasn't any um, – everyone was just out, you know, riddled with addiction, all out for themselves. You know, I have uncles and aunts. Where I've never been close to any relative. There was a grandfather once when I got sent to live with him, and he was someone who taught me how to ride a bike. I had like a six-month period of somebody, and it was like an appropriate male, you know, you know, female relationship, and that was like a gift for me. I had that six months. But besides that, everyone is just completely checked out. So my sister's seven years older. She's trying to get rid of me as a baby, making me fall out of the crib, you know, do whatever it takes to get rid of the baby because there wasn't enough love to go around, and then here I was born. You know, and everyone in my family had dark hair and, you know, more like Basque and Basque and English, and I came out blonde hair, blue eyes, so it was like, oh, look at this. And I came out happy. You know, I came out as a very happy, joyful baby. And um, and it's interesting that when I look back at pictures, like no matter what was happening in my family of origin, everyone looks miserable. But I am still, like, smiling. Like, I'm like, there's joy. And so I feel like that is my essence. And that's how I was born into this world. It's a miracle. I just feel like it is such a miracle that I'm alive today. And I, I never take it for granted because of all the years I wanted to not be here. And so I came into this house. Nobody was there. Um, they, I think I had, you know, I had some food and I had, like, the basic things um, up until my parents divorced. There was a lot of abuse um, emotionally, you know, physically. A lot of my mom's a rager, so there was a lot of yelling, a lot of withholding of love. No hugs and like, oh, Sherry, let me hold you. There was no holding. There was no holding at all. There was no I love you. And um, and so I found food. That's what I did. I found food, and I found so much solace in eating. And I would say I was about eight years old. I was abused by my real dad, and then was an alcoholic and then my stepfather came into my life right after so it was like two bad male figures uh father figures and I started eating compulsively when I took that bite I knew that that was going to save me and save my life and that was about eight I think about eight years old and I just knew I was not like my friends because I loved food so much and you know today I, I can't say that I don't like food that would be lying. I still find pleasure in even, like, the healthy stuff. Like, it'll just, like, it's the best. You know, it's, like, so good. Like, when you put it in your mouth, and it's, like, there's, like, something that happens to me that's so magical that I don't experience anywhere else in life, except for when I'm in nature or swimming in the ocean or I've just prayed and meditated and I'm levitating into the fifth dimension or sixth dimension, which is the result of this program. And when I don't have any defects happening in that moment and I'm just like totally free 
like I was when I was that little joyful kid in the pictures. Like, there's, there's moments of that, long moments now. The moments of that are so much greater than the angst and the emotional burden of having to fix and correct and reparent myself. And, um, and uh, um, you know, my heart's so full today from this program. And so I was in this home, and my sister, and so what I learned at a young age was that being a size zero uh, was the answer, and that's the only way to get love. So I come from sibling rivalry, but it really wasn't rivalry. It was your sister's awesome and you suck. You know, it was, there was no competition. It didn't matter what I did, so I tried to do things. I was the one that was smart in school, so I tried to get good grades. You know, like, look at my grade, look at this. Nothing I was doing was working because I couldn't figure out how I could be a size zero. And I wasn't born a size, I was born 8 pounds, 11 ounces which is a big baby for a 5'2 mom. And my sister was born seven pounds. So I always tell sponsees, I always tell anyone this, you know, if when, you know, that compare and despair was a big problem for me when I came into program. And even through working the steps, I compared and despaired for a long time. Even with people in the rooms coming in, or they're losing weight faster than me, all about bodies. It was all about the body and what does that represent to me. And if my body couldn't be a certain way, then I need to kill myself. And that is, it's so ingrained in me that if, um, that that was the solution. And so as a kid, I would, like, say, like, I would try to, like, take a knife, like, get rid of this, like, get rid of this extra fat. And as a kid, you know, I had, I already had, like, cellulite around my knees when I was in junior high, and my sister didn't have it. So my whole life was based on the outside appearance, and my mom is all about the outside, and it was, uh, there's nothing on the insides at all. And even though... Logically, it doesn't make sense today. Like, if my sister was standing here, what happens when she comes into... Like, right now, she's not in my life. And I have been trying to work on this relationship, and this this seems to be the last thing for me. You know, I've worked through the abusers, the forgiveness of that. I've done the steps through all of that. made my living amends of not harming myself. Um, you know, just so much forgiveness for all, my mom. I went on a mother-daughter trip last year with her. And I've done all these beautiful things with relationships. And with, when it comes to my sister, the, the damage that was done from the parents, from the parenting, and from the whole thing is so deep because it's so wrapped in. I think if I didn't have the eating disorder and the body dysmorphia, it wouldn't be like this. But because this is like my core thing, and because I was the one that was abused in the family, and I feel like she got off, Scott. You know, there's like so much tied to it. Um, and I think she has the opposite. So I'm a binger, and she doesn't eat. So when something happens for her, and I, I'm not able to grasp that. Like, I'm not able, I don't have compassion for that because she looks better. <laughs> you know, I want it to be reversed, and I want her, if she was, like, if she had what my part of it was, when I came into program, I was six sizes, bigger heading, way over 200 pounds, could not stop eating. I was eating around the clock. I wish she had that. I want her to experience just for a little bit of her life what it would be like to be, like, obese. And I think then we could have a relationship. And that's, like, the truth. That is the honest truth. And I've tried so many different ways around it, and I've worked the tools, and I've done 12 steps around it, four steps and fifth steps and taking her to therapy and this and that. And I think the other thing is um, she's just unsafe for me. And it has, it's much more, it's deeper than what I'm giving my credit, what I'm giving myself credit for. The, what happens from her end of having her in, I think she's also practicing um, alcoholic. So we have that going on. 
And it's really hard because I work on the spiritual principles here and I work on the insides. And I am surrounded by people in my life all day long that were on this spiritual path of just trying to be better human beings. And so to be around someone who's a narcissist, who's completely obsessed with the outsides and the material, it's just painful. I think I just don't have the, I don't at this time in my life have the capacity or the tolerance, you know, that I would like to have. So I'm going to say just for today, I don't have a relationship with her. And when she's out of my life, like right now, I thrive. I thrive and I have joy beyond my wildest dreams. And I love myself and I love my body. So I have to, this time in my recovery, put my life ahead. When I bring her back in, I have thoughts like, I should kill myself. And so it's scary. It's really scary, and um, and I have to just continue to be honest about it. And I'm so grateful that I have people in my life who have heard all the inventories, and they're like, "There's really all we can do is bring this to the mat. Like bring it. Like my one of my sponsors always say, we just take this to the mat. God is the mat. <laughs> by the way, take it to the mat. You know, like take it there, give it to God, and I continue to pray for her on a daily basis. And I'm hoping that one day. I think that what I envision is one day I'm going to have the self-esteem and the the wholeness that I need, that it wouldn't affect me that she's in my life. But it's such a threat. Um, So many inappropriate things were done with uh, boyfriends and things like that, so it's hard for me to bring her into my life. Um, So enough about her. She's getting way too much airtime, you know what I mean? You know the people that we have that they're taking up too much space on this podcast. Um, And I want to not talk about her anymore. Um, And I have a life beyond my wildest dreams in the sense that I rarely have fears today or anxiety I make amends when needed. I'm in this relationship. Um, so, anyway, so I'm all over the board. I'm all over the board. You know, I want to talk about, like, how I got into program. And, you know, so I did this compulsive eating, um, like, major binging. I'm a, I've always been a big volume eater, like, big volume eater. Like, I can't get enough. Like, it's just, like, crazy. Like, I can't get enough, and then I eat, and then I on a like, my stomach's going to burst, and then I pass out. And then I come to, and then I have to do that all over again. Like, I cannot fill the thing that's inside of me. It's a, it's, an, it's a delusion that I think, even today sometimes, although it doesn't look anything like before I came in, but there's still this thing inside of me. Because there was nobody taking care of me, and there was no one to go to, and there was, no, there was nothing, that I still sometimes think that food would help. It would help me apply to college. You know, it helped me fill out that application if I just had a little bigger lunch. It would help me. It would give me, like, the thing that I need. So that was, like, my consultant was the food. I didn't, there wasn't a parent calling up saying, hey, I'd like to go to college. you want to help me get in? It was very, like, no one there. I was a latchkey kid at age seven and just started binging my way through. So I guess uh, the miracle for me was that it started showing up on my body when I was about 15. And then I'm so grateful that I had a friend who introduced me to cocaine. And, and it was, like, awesome because up until then, I could not stop thinking about anything but food 
body, food, and I couldn't stop eating. It was like, and my mom was like, she would bake for me. I think she might have this disease also, but she was a baker, so I'd come home from school, and even though she never said I love you or hugged me, she would bake, like, all the French pastries you can think of, and they would, like, the whole kitchen counter would be full of Napoleons and chocolate eclairs and cream puffs, like, all in a day's work, and cookies, and she would say, here, here, and then we wouldn't talk, but I'd come home from school, and we would just like do this and like stuff our face and then she'd hand me laxatives and say you know because it wasn't showing up on her body but it was on mine and that's not good so I was excited when I found cocaine when I did that first line of cocaine out my nose I wasn't hungry for that five seconds or whatever it was and I went oh my god this is how I'm going to help my eating disorder. Like, this is how I'm going to be normal. I'm going to do cocaine. So that was at age 16, and I proceeded with that addiction until I went into rehab when I was 33. So, again, I'm just so grateful that I'm alive. I'm so grateful that I still have a nose. You know, I've had to have, like, a special surgery for all of the abuse I did. Um, and I did crystal meth for many years, and I loved it. And I And there are days that I miss my body looking so... It was just all muscles. It was like size two and just muscles. And I used to come home from work and do push-ups and sit-ups. And I was just so on drugs. And it was awesome. There was nothing in the refrigerator. There was, I could eat like a pint of Haagen-Dazs and a bag of Cheetos. That's what I did every three days. And it, it was, and I was really good at work. Everyone thought I was the best worker, and I was. I did the work of two people. <laughs> and so, for me, it was all a positive. It was all a positive, positive. I had no social life. I had no intimacy. I had no. I didn't care because I had the work going. And now I had all these people throughout my career saying, "You are good at something. You are awesome. You are the best worker we've ever had." And it was like, oh, my God, I've arrived. I've done something well. I have a purpose in life to be the best worker. So I'm going to keep doing the drugs. I won't think about food, and then I'll just be a workaholic. And so I did that for all through the 20s. And then I added alcohol. You know, that that came into the mix and became full-blown that and then another program. And uh, the reason why it took me so long to get off the cocaine is that um, because I thought I was going to OD many nights. And I prayed, please don't let me OD, please don't let me OD, because I was overshooting the mark once again, having too much, shaking. I think I was going to have a heart attack. I had a seizure once in my boyfriend's arms. I had completely lost consciousness. Um, it was very, very scary. And I didn't think I was going to live, and I kept praying, please let me live through the night. But I knew that if I gave that up, I would gain weight. So it took me a long time until I hit my bottom. So I was 33 when I came into the program, and I remember calling the rehab and saying, I want to come in for drugs, alcohol, and food. And they said, just, we're going to deal with the drugs and alcohol first, and the food will work itself out. So I said, okay, you know, okay. (laughs) I don't know about this. So I locked myself into a rehab and stopped at Jack in the Box on the way and got all my nice greasy stuff to absorb all the alcohol and come down from the cocaine. And then I showed up there and... Uh, within, you know, it was the first two days of detox, but by day three, I was looking for food. And I paid a lot of money, took all my savings to go there to save my life, and I wanted to get my money's worth like I was on a cruise ship. So I, because they had gourmet chef, it was just six people there, six people paying for all this, you know, it was very, very expensive. So we had all this yummy food, and I would just be plate, one plate, two plates, three plates for every meal, and they would let us out, um, like, in the bus, the little sober bus, 
to go to the store. And while I went, there wasn't going to be enough food in the house for me. So immediately it's on. I have to go to the store now and get all of my, you know, my rice cream ice cream. And I also eat, you know, in a healthy way, pretty much. And got all these. I got four pints of this, five bags of this. I had bags full of groceries in my own private refrigerator. And, like, by day four or five, the therapist came to me and said, you know, we might want to talk about this food. And I said, no, she this is what I told you when I called you drunk and told you I needed to come to this rehab. You know, like, I told you it's going to be a problem. And they were like, do you have a, a fear of not having enough food? Yes, I do. I am never in my life going to ever have enough food. That that is going to be, and today, this is still my belief, there will not be enough food. Oh, my God. So right now I'm doing a delivery service that I just started doing because my food got really wonky. And what I do for a living now is I house sit sometimes, and I've been doing this for many years. And when I first came in the program, which was uh, 14 years ago, I had a corporate job. And so my abstinence was very easy because I was, like, breakfast in the morning, bring my lunch. Had, I wasn't even doing snacks, and it was so easy to do breakfast, lunch, dinner, two meetings, go to bed. Do, you know, da 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 but then I started my own businesses. I started two businesses that all require activity for me, walking and I'm outside. I work in the car. It's all different every day. It's a crazy, it's like the schedule doesn't know what it's going to be. And I find that managing my hunger level and putting the right amount of foods in is, has been very problematic. And because of aging, I just turned 47. And there's been some things happening metabolism-wise where I'm hungry all the time. And um, so I just decided... When, I, when I'm the house sitting, what's been happening is that I'm eating like I used to when I babysat. So when I was about 11 or 10, 10 or 11, 12, I started babysitting to make extra money. And I would just eat. They would say, help yourself, and I did. I helped myself to everything. But I always knew that they wouldn't approve of it, so I always ate like three-quarters of everything and left the rest, as a good, you know, binger does, you know, just leave it. Um, so there's at least enough for one serving for them, because that's so awful when you go to get something and there's not anything in there. And I wouldn't want to do that to someone. So I'd always like leave them at least like one thing of whatever it was. And um, so I do, I've been doing that as a person in recovery, although it looks different. What I'm choosing is different. It's very compulsive. I've tried someone in program recommended putting caution tape on the cupboards. Oops. So I did that, caution tape, you know, like a crime scene. That ripped that off day two. That was nothing, like nothing stops me, you know, uh, putting post-its, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. Call your sponsor, boom, boom, took those down. You know, and it wasn't like, it wasn't, my abstinence is no refined sugar. I had to also, I've been here for a while. I've been here for uh, 13 years, and I'm going to be celebrating five years of abstinence on January 1st, and it's no refined sugar. It's been all different things, but this is what's very black and white to me, no refined sugar. I really don't eat flour because it doesn't agree with me, but I don't put that on my abstinence. I find that the simpler I can make my abstinence, the more I can win here and keep moving forward as opposed to the punishing, let's go binge thing. So I don't do that anymore. I just keep moving forward. So recently I started doing this food service, and it's really great. It's really working out for me. I have not gone into anyone's cupboards working. I have the food. It's the perfect amount. There's three different, four sizes, small, medium, large, and extra large. So I started out with the medium-sized portions, and by day two I needed large. You know, so that's, it wasn't enough food. So I called, and I said, you know, I'm going to need the large 
uh, portions, and it's like the perfect amount of food. I'm having three meals and two snacks a day. It's in a bag. I don't have to think about it. And for me, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. Because <laughs> 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 it's very, very expensive, and they're doing like half now, and I don't know what's going to happen later. But you know what? I have a feeling that God's going to make this work for me like everything else because it's promoting my program, and it's really helping me to have more clarity and to also figure out like what I need in my body. Um, you know, I know so many things, but I don't. I also just made a, an appointment with a nutritionist that I'm going to see in a few weeks because I really need some outside help. Um, so I came into program through the rehab, and while I was in that rehab, I gained a size in one week. The therapist came and talked to me, and they kept saying, just get sober. You know, just get your 30 days sober. It'll work out. It'll work out. I kept binge, I kept just eating around the clock. We'd, they'd take us to meetings, and I ate all the food at the meeting, come, put it in my pockets, come back, eating in my bedroom, eating, 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 and um, ate my way through my first four steps. I remember that. I remember distinctly getting the cookies and having them sitting there, and how I did that first. But it was a very thorough first four step. I have to say, it was so thorough. It took five hours to give it away. There was a lot of tears, and there was a lot of emotions. And um, so that when I did my four step, I was about six sizes heavier. I was up to a size 16, and throughout all of my uh, using, I was about a size two, four, six was the max. So this was substantial for me, and it was about a size a month. So I left rehab two sizes bigger, 20 pounds heavier. That's a good amount in 28 days. And then the next month, another size. So I kept going to the store, and my sponsor at the time uh, kept saying, just go buy a bigger pair of pants. Just go buy. It's all going to work out for you, Sherry. It's all going to work out. And, you know, for her it did. What worked out for her was that she was just an alcoholic, and by working the 12 steps in AA, her weight, because she was also the size I was, it all worked out for her. So I kept... For some reason, that stuck to me, and I really thought that was going to work for me, and it did not. So within, like, seven months, I kept going. The trajectory was just going. And just an example, at my work, I worked in an office building in Brentwood, and there was a little grocery store, little convenience store in the building, and I would uh, stop on the way to work and get bagels for everybody, bagels and cream cheese and all the toppings, and then I could have them all through the day. And then I'd order lunch for everybody. And then I'd go down to that convenience store, and I was down there to the point where, you know, you get, you know that look when someone's like, hmm, you, were you just here, like, you, you were, this is like your third, fourth time here, and it's only been two hours, and you're getting all the, re, you, you've bought out all the recess products that we have. <laughs> Everything, not, now you're moving on to the sticks. But before it was the cups, and now it's the sticks, and you know, and that's that was my favorite go-to thing. And I just ate round the clock, round the clock, round the clock. Left work, went to three different fast food restaurants. I went one place for the burrito, one place for the French fry, one place for this, because I'm like a connoisseur and get my favorite things. Went home, shut the blinds, passed out, and wanted to kill myself. And so I shared with someone in my AA meeting, and she said, "So and so goes to the How program. Call her." And I did. And that's what started my journey. And that was about, you know, 13, whatever, 2014, 2004, excuse me. And um, and that started my journey here. And it was really awesome. And um, and this is what I have. This is my core. You know, this food, it, you know, it's sort of like, what did I do first? Did I drink and use drugs first or did I eat first? And I don't. I, I think it was eating, but I did all those things at a very young age. I was smoking pot, drink sipping when I was eight, nine years old. Alcohol out of cans in the in the family, and um, 
So the food is my thing, and nobody gets this but you guys. I have to say, like nobody. Even this morning, I had a conversation with my boyfriend because I've been finding uh, what I work on now is like the behavior. So there's so many things that I'm finding. Like what is problematic? So what's been problematic is like going home early. Um, and when he's not there yet, so I go in there to meet him, and he doesn't have dinner till 7.38, and it's 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm there, like, hanging out, waiting. That's a problem. That's become a problem, where I just, like, all of a sudden now, I want to eat. So there's certain things that I, I need to occupy my time. I need to have more structure. And he, and he said the funniest thing, which maybe you've heard this before. He said, just willpower your way through that until, just willpower your way through until I get home and then we'll have dinner at 7.30. And God bless him. God bless him that he doesn't have this. He clearly doesn't have this. You know, he eats in a way that I would prefer that he didn't eat in that way because sometimes it looks inviting and sometimes I just want to be normal. You know, and sometimes I'm sick of all my rigid rules and I'm sick of... Um, you know, I'm a, I, I love food, but I'm a picky foodie also, so I have a lot of requirements. So when we go to order, I rarely can find something just off the menu. It's like there's always a modification involved somehow, and that's just the way it is. Like, I don't like everything, and, um, and sometimes I just want to say, you know, I just want to, like, go and get – I want to eat what he's eating, and I have done that, and then I feel horrible, and then I don't want to be near him. And so it's this whole thing that he doesn't understand because he thinks that I'm just beautiful as I am, and he he loves me the way I am, and he loves my body. Like he doesn't see the flaws that I see. And when he looks at me, he's not he, he doesn't see all the cellulite that I have, and that sometimes I still look at. But I have to say, I look at it way less today. I look at it way less, and I try to love on it. And this is, I have to practice what I preach. And if I'm telling and sharing with my sponsees to find things about yourself that you love every day and focus on those, then I have to do the same, which means that the part of my body, there's still part. I, I took a body workshop um, OA course. I don't know. It was a few years ago. And it was in the valley. And I'll never forget it because they give you a picture of like a blank body, face, you know, like, it's just blank of you, and then you're supposed to, like, go through and X out parts that maybe you don't like, and then you share it with the people. Thank you. And um, people in the group, and I remember all of the things. I X out almost the whole entire thing. I just, like, was like, I hate it. I hate everything. It was like, I came in here with no, no self-love and no self-esteem. I really just wanted to die for a long time in program because... I couldn't figure out what the point was. And I have to say, I don't feel like that. I haven't felt like that in a long time. And when I wake up, I feel like I have so much purpose and joy and love for myself. And um, and that's only a result of working the steps over and over and over, sponsoring beautiful women who are in this room who are like gifts to me. Every time they call me, I get to share stuff too that maybe I haven't experienced for 10 years. That's like such a gift to be reminded of what it was like 10 years ago when I was on the floor in fetal position. And sometimes, I never want to forget about that. I never want to forget about the pain and the pain of being new and taking shifts and the struggle can be real. And, um, and I really get that. So I'm so grateful for a program and I'm so grateful that um, I don't have to binge around the clock. Today I've had my two meals. I've had one snack. I have one more meal. I have one more snack. It's very simple. And I just try to keep it really simple and keep program first, and then my life can be just 
beyond what I could ever imagine. And I'd love to hear what your questions are. question is, at, one point, at what point in my life did I recognize that it wasn't safe to have a relationship with my sister? And um, the only way I can answer that is that it's ebbed and flowed. So I can't even say that what I'm doing now is forever or for, you know, it's, it's for me to work on myself. I do know that when someone is in my room and, I, and my thoughts are kill myself, that's a big red flag of, you know what, this, this may not be safe. There's something happening here that's triggering something and maybe God needs me to go and heal the wound inside of me that, and by the way, it had nothing to do with her. So I have, in a loving way, let her know that I'm in therapy. I'm working on me, and I have to take a break for me. It's for my survival, and it, it has, there's no blame for her. She's just her, you know? And I hope we've had, we've gone in and out of closeness, and um, I'm not sure that it would ever be what I would like. We also, you know, we got split up when we were, when my parents divorced. So we don't live together for many years of our childhood. And it's just been like that. It's just been, we both didn't get much. And um, and maybe one day, you know, we get older. And if she could not be about the outside, maybe I'd consider. See what happens. More, I'll reveal next time what happened with that. Yeah. How do I work with sponsees who are struggling with body obsession and self-loathing? I try to work with them very gently and very lovingly. It's a very painful process. And I, I think um, one of the things that I do for myself that I recommend that they do that I think is powerful is first to write an apology letter, um, like almost immediately, like, dear, you know, dear Sherry, I'm so sorry. For, and then all the ways in which I've harmed myself, which could be, you know, all the ways that I, the thoughts I have, actions I've taken, food I've eaten beyond full, you know, just that apology letter. And then I like, I like them to read it to me. And then I like to then give them the opportunity, if it resonates, to do like, okay, great. What is going to be your living amends to yourself? So when you have that thought, what will you replace it with next time? Or when you hate on yourself, what can you do? When you want to eat, what can you do? You know, what is your game plan? Because I feel like this is a real action-based program. Also, I do find that it's helpful when I was, you know, size 16, to look at myself every day in the mirror, and I had to find something, whether it was my earlobe or whatever. It was something. And just focus on that and keep focusing on it. And then to look myself in the eyes in the mirror has been very powerful and say, I love you. I love you. And to keep saying it until I cry. So those are some tools that I like to pass on. Fida? Um, thank you so much for your care. Um, can you please talk about uh, how your relationship with a higher power developed from the beginning of programs now and then how you experience your higher power today? Yes. How has my a higher power, how has my relationship with my higher power evolved since the beginning of the program and how do I feel my higher power today? Uh, it evolved by working the steps when I, when I was in my recovery uh, place. They wanted us to do steps one and two there. And I acted as if for step two. They wanted us to 
get pictures from magazines and what does our higher power look like? And I did what I thought they wanted me to do. I really wasn't on board with it. My, um, but it was okay because I acted as if and I did it anyway. And I think my higher power has, it's all about the experience. There has been so many, I call them God coincidences, God shot experiences that have happened throughout the time that I surrendered that are inexplainable and, and amazing. And as, when I recognize that, I have no doubt of seeing that, I, well, I should be dead. After doing step, writing step one, to see all the ways that I should not be here and I'm still here, there has to be a power greater than myself that kept me alive. So that's a good place to start. I also like doing a want ad. I just met with a sponsor before. We did step two before this meeting. And I like them to write out, you know, and I like to do a want ad. What would that be? And it's changed over the years. It's gotten much bigger, and it's, it's funny. My higher power is funny now. And how do I feel my higher power now? I feel my higher power when I am in nature, when I'm totally silent. Sil- I need silence, and then it's just there. It's like there all the time. And it's that still, it's a small voice inside. It's just like talking me all the time. And if I follow that intuition, then I always make the next right move. It's only when my will gets involved and I negate that, that, that you know, like, I'm down the wrong path. So, and I think uh, my higher power speaks to me through my sponsors. And I reach out to them all the time for help. And I stay current. So that's the reason why. As a result of your step work and growing relationship with your higher power. Um, what, is, what is your greatest, like, deepest truth now in your absence of sugar? Through my step work? I think it was a reveal, like, like, wow, like, I really get it. Okay, what was the big reveal for me of, like, whoa, I cannot do sugar? That's the question. Um, when I eat sugar, I immediately want to kill myself. That's a big red flag. <laughs> like, big red flag. I hate myself, like, and it can only be a bite. It is so obvious to me. It's like the longer I'm here and the cleaner my system is, it's so clear. I eat that, and maybe it's not that immediate, but definitely by the next day, I'm waking up, and I don't want to live. I don't want to live. I want to die. I hate myself, and... And, uh, and that's enough right there. <laughs> that's enough for me to say this is a problem. And it, I, all bets are off with any other food. It leads to who knows what. It's like all the rate, you know, it's like bets are off. Who knows what I'm going to eat next once I put that in. It's really that serious to me. Um, so I, I just don't eat. But when I say sugar, the thing that does that to me is the white refined sugar. So I eat natural stuff, and that doesn't have the same effect at all. So I do stevia, and I do maple syrup every once in a while, and none, neither of those things ever make me want to kill myself or hate myself. Um, so it seems to be that processed thing. It's like crack. It, it acts to me like crack. So, yeah. When you have, thank you very much. When you have those feelings of self-hatred now, how do you work with them? When I have feelings of self-hatred now, how do I work with them? I can't remember the last time that I had self-hatred. So I think it's just because of the continual daily, all of the actions that I've taken on a daily basis, even though I didn't know why I was doing this action and nothing's getting better. And then one day I just, it just shifted. I rarely hate on myself, um, but 
if a thought comes in that's not very pleasant about myself, I am able to stop and say, oh, and I talk to myself in a way of, that's interesting. That's interesting. Where did that come? Wow. Oh, isn't that interesting? Everything's going so well in your life, and now you don't like your butt or whatever. You know, like, like you hate. Are you, you know, you need to go to a diet. Like, where did that come from? And all I can say is that my disease will always put the first thoughts because it's a disease. it starts and it centers in the mind. I believe this disease centers in the mind, and then it leads to the food. But the food is just like the next thing that has to happen, and then it produces the craving. And if I can stop the thought by just recognizing and being a witness to it, and saying, "Oh, that's oh, it's not funny that that's back again. Oh, interesting." And maybe um, for me, when I have those thoughts, it's because my little girl inside is not being. Um, I saw that, I'm going to wrap up right now, is not being, she's being neglected. So either she's going to show up in the food or she's going to show up in a thought, but she's trying to get my attention. So if I can just stop and do the left hand, right hand, you know, the little girl writing and ask her what she needs, that those thoughts go away because I'm able then to provide for her what she needs. So that's all for me. Thanks so much for having me.